I was going to thrill with Jangly Man because I figured Ew. the positions would go. <laughs> Interesting. That's gross. That's, so <laughs> That's really gross. That wasn't any more gross than, I don't know, Enveloper Lady. Jangly Man no. was certainly a corpse. Well, yes. <laughs> From Rosemary's Baby and Regan McNeil to Jason, Freddy, and Chucky to Samara, Jigsaw, and Pennywise, we can't get enough. If it's blood-curdling, spine-tingling, breath-quickening, or soul-stealing, we are ready to watch it. Welcome to Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards. With me tonight are my two co-hosts, Anne Conley. Hi, guys. And Helen Stewart. Hello. All right, for new listeners, this is going to be our format for this episode. First, I'm going to introduce the movie we'll be reviewing. Next, we're going to run through our expectations going into the watch. Uh, Then we're going to play the trailer, and we're going to review the movie in roughly chronological order. After that, Helen's going to take us through Kill, Chill, and Thrill. And then finally, we're going to wrap up with our ratings. So tonight, we are going to review 2019's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, horror film directed by Andre Overdahl, based on the children's book series by the same name by Alvin Schwartz. The screenplay was adapted by Dan and Kevin Hageman from a screen story by producer Guillermo del Toro, as well as Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. In 2013, CBS Films acquired the rights to the book series with the intent of producing it as a feature film. By January 2016, it was announced that del Toro would develop and potentially direct the project for CBS Films. Overdahl was later set to direct the film with del Toro, Daniel, Brown, and Grave being among the producers. Principal photography commenced on August 27th, 2018 and ended on November 1st, 2018 in St. Thomas, Ontario, Canada. The movie was theatrically released on August 9th, 2019 by Lionsgate. The film has received generally positive reviews from critics with many praising the horror elements, though some criticized the screenplay. So we went to the movies. We did. Road trip. Date night. Woo. Yep. For the uh, second time, I guess. We've done this one time before. Halloween, Halloween, 2018. That's right, 2018. Yeah. Yep. Popcorn and horror, bring it on. I guess we should go through our expectations before we went in to see the film. And do you want to go through your expectations? Yeah, yeah, I'll jump in there. So being a 1981 baby, I was really excited to see this made. Um, we were talking earlier. I still remember the original books, the original publication, the original art, and being a young kid, and these being really like a dance for me. We weren't really supposed to read them, but somehow we got our hands on a copy of them. I was probably six or eight once I finally asked for them and I got them. And I remember them being terrifying as a child and even thinking, I can't believe my parents gave this to me as a book. We had the first and eventually got the other couple in the set. But I remember having such a fondness with the book, about the books, right? And going back later, rereading them and realizing that they really weren't scary at all. In fact, they're pretty horrible stories. But, you know, there's just such a great folklore around this scary stories to tell in the dark. I was still really, really excited to see the movie, go to the theater, really great on the silver screen. So yeah, I was excited. Helen? Yeah, so I thought I remembered these. And I confused it with Goosebumps, which is not the same thing. Mm. <laughs> so not, what I was expecting. Another classic. Yes, they yeah. were definitely classic, the R.L. Steins. But what I was expecting was not to be scared, but to have like, you know, kind of like a easygoing kind of, you know, younger Nostalgic. kid type. Yeah. 
But then when I saw it, I was like, I do kind of vaguely remember these, but I think these might have been taken out of our library. So we weren't allowed to read them. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe we were – I remember the like the covers of the books and the artwork, but I don't remember the stories. So yeah, I wonder if I missed out and then just never got them. Oh, such a shame. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I remember specifically getting this book in the library or seeing it in the library at, at one point during my, I think, middle school time, I believe. I was 10, maybe 11 years old when I first read it. But uh, And they were scary stories when you're little, right? Yeah, they are. And they're I mean, graphic. Yeah, and I, and I think they're scarier when you're reading them, right? When you're like mm-hmm. alone reading them because it's in your mind and it's everything scarier in your mind. That's a great point. So while I liked the book, I was kind of misled going into the movie because I saw Guillermo del Toro's name and I thought he had directed this movie. So I was really excited to go in to watch what I thought was a Guillermo del Toro movie. I thought it was going to be fantasy and fairy tale. And immediately when the movie came on, I was like, well, wait a minute, this doesn't seem like Guillermo del Toro at all. And come to find out it, it wasn't. Uh, so I had to kind of recalibrate myself at the very beginning of the movie, which took a little work, but that's kind of going into it, what I felt. All right. And I guess it's time to roll the trailer. All right. And it's trailer time. Action. Some people believe if we repeat stories often enough, they become real. They make us who we are. That can be scary. Eat it, Harold. Do you want to see Haunted House? Some kids went missing, so they boarded it up. Okay, we saw it. Can we go now? Who ordered the chicken? It's a book of scary stories. Tell me a story. Hey, what's going on? Tommy's missing. Tommy's name was in the book. There's no way it's actually connected, right? Okay, what if what happens in the book is exactly what's happened for real? Oh my god. Stella! Listen, you're in the next story. We're reading it right here. It's a corpse looking for her missing toe. I'm afraid that we woke something up. You shouldn't have taken the book. We've got to stop it. Sarah Bellows's book, where the stories write themselves and it all comes alive. The Jangling Man is coming. On Halloween night in 1968, three teenagers in the small town of Mill Valley, Pennsylvania, horror-obsessed amateur writer Stella and her friends Augie and Chuck, 
along with Drifter Ramon, play a prank on a school bully, Tommy Milner. The group explores a local haunted house which belonged to the Bellows family who helped found the town. Inside, they find a secret room and a book of scary stories belonging to Sarah Bellows, who has been removed from all family photographs. Tommy locks them inside the room along with his girlfriend, who is Chuck's sister, Ruth. They are released by an unseen presence and escape. Okay, so when this movie opens up, I was laughing, Ray, when you were saying about Guillermo del Toro, because I was really excited to see another film by him as well. Now, I refused to watch the trailers because I did not want to spoil myself about what this might be, or was it sort of an anthology of these stories within one film, or was it one universal story uniting all these individual stories throughout the book? I wasn't quite sure which way it was going to go, but... Um, I was excited, actually, when it began, thinking, oh, Guillermo, and then it immediately takes you right into 1968, and the vibe was so different, but I really liked it, although it immediately disconnected me with any expectations of Guillermo del Toro. This really, to me, had such a cool vibe about it. I was alive in 68, and it wasn't overly Woodstocky, which I appreciated. I just thought that the vibe was so good, the atmosphere that it created getting into this. It seemed very practical. I don't know if it was just the way it was shot or if it was also just the costuming and scenery, but it felt very real to me. I just really enjoyed the parallels between, you know, you have this horror going on with the paranormal, but then you also have the horror going on in their real lives with the war going on in the Nixon election, which I guess that small town didn't particularly, somebody in that small town didn't like Nixon because they did the swastikas over his eyes, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the Nixon parallel was really cool. Yeah, apparently it's set not very far from where we are right now, right? Supposedly. I mean, Mill Valley is not a real place in Pennsylvania, but it's based on... Apparently it's based on Downingtown, Pennsylvania, since it was originally named Milltown. It was known for its abundant paper mills in proximity to the Pennhurst Asylum. Yes. So we were bugging out when we saw the Penhurst Association later in the movie because Ray and I have actually visited Penhurst Asylum. It is now converted to a whole haunted house, haunted campus with various buildings and various, I I was going to say performances, right? Different floors, different stages, uh, different really terrifying interactions, which you can, of course, purchase tickets to. I couldn't believe that that showed up. And Of course, here, it's showing it in its heyday as a mental institution, and now it's all broken down and decrepit, and that's some of the things that they talk about when you visit this spooky location, are how the patients were tortured with electrotherapy, and you still hear them walking down the halls, and the lights flickering, and blah, blah, blah. It it was so eerie to see it referenced here in in the film. Yeah, the first time I went to Penhurst, not quite 10 years ago, the group I was with, the one woman, her aunt worked at Penhurst when it was active. And it really was active up until the 80s, the early 80s, and when Reagan defunded uh, basically all of the, the mental health institutions as far as like the asylums, the state-run asylums were concerned. Uh, and that's when it was closed down. And I thought it was amazing how decrepit it was given it's, you know, it's not all that long ago. I mean, it was 20, 30 years ago, but I mean, it's you know, falling apart, and it really does look haunted. 
Yeah, it's one of those really interesting. If you guys have some interest and have a second to Google, we'll post something on our feed as well. But the buildings have decomposed, right? Ivy and weeds and everything have grown over it. But it's actually a beautiful campus. I mean, you look at it and you're just kind of like, yeah, oh, there's got to be a way to recycle this location. Well, but it, it is recycled. It's a haunted house now. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's almost a shame. Well, and even in the haunted house, they can't utilize all the buildings. So not only due to code restrictions, but also because one of the buildings, they say it's so haunted, they're not even allowed to use it. They won't. They oh, won't. Really? They won't use it. That sounds like uh Folklore. Sounds like a good propaganda to me. I know. That's it's what, okay. I, would, that's what okay. I would say, too. I like it. Ghost oh. Adventures did a haunt, haunting expedition there, and oh. I had seen that one. Yeah. Was it good? I've never, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, you know, they're always over the top, so I love it, but I have always wanted to go there because you can rent it out to ghost hunt on your own and not do the haunted attraction, but ghost hunt. Oh, my gosh. Which I think may be scarier than the attraction. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Just because sure. you're there by your, you know, yourselves and oh, super scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll definitely have to go again this fall. We were saying as a hilltop horror tradition, maybe we'll have to start going to haunted houses. And this might be first on the list. I think this would be a really good one. That would be fun. So back to the movie. Before they get to the haunted house, there's this whole setup for Halloween night and the kids are well, the kid, I guess they're really like 16, 17. I don't know how old they're supposed to be, but they certainly seem like they're older teenagers are dre- getting dressed up even though they're too old to get dressed up, really, and I go mean, trick-or-treating. I that's guess, that's that what the mom frame? says. Yeah, that's I guess the they said it was like says. their last year or something, Yeah, right? I mean, it was – and they go out and they're playing a, a prank on the town bully, I guess. Yeah. Uh, which kind of backfires because they throw the – the bag, yeah, yeah, into the into the actual car. I don't think he meant to throw it in the car, which is kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. that. I mean, the bag looked quite heavy. How long do you think they were collecting that poo for? Yeah, and it was human. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to ignite dog poop. Is the way it's supposed to work, right? Yeah. Did you guys ever do that prank as a kid? No. And then no. you leave it on somebody's doorstep. No. And they stamp it. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> And the dog poop gets all over their shoes. Yeah, I I just, uh, I feel like that's so, like, no matter how much you hate somebody, it's just not nice. Uh, yeah, it's not really I nice. I don't know. When you Have really you done decide, it? <laughs> you look I can like neither you deny it. nor <laughs> confirm. <laughs> and it may or may not have participated in the flying, flaming bag of poo, prank. But yeah, I mean, it's I like that it was really like a classic Halloween prank. It really terrified me that it made its way in the car. And also, I was like, even a flaming bag of poo thrown on the windshield of a car? I mean, the whole idea that you have flames, that's the idea is that you're supposed to put it on the ground so somebody stamps it out. I'm like, this is dangerous. You're throwing an ignited bag of poop, and nothing good is going to come out of that. Yeah, honestly, it's like a Molotov cocktail. With poop. Yeah, which is not a good, it's not <laughs> a good idea. Yeah, that's the whole thing's bad. So... But so they end up they end up running away from the the bully and Ramon is not with them at this point even though the wiki makes it sound like that he's no. actually by himself at the drive-in like, he's our drifter yeah hanging out watching a movie Night, Night of the Living, Living Dead, Dead by no. himself Love and it. and they they get in the car to like hide yeah. Right. Can I say I'm already like in love with this ensemble cast of these kids? So, you know, we talk a lot back to Stranger Things, right? You have this great set of kids that you just love. And those kids are younger. So it's much easier to be like, oh, they're so endearing. But these kids were great, too. I thought all in their own unique way. Maybe not quite as strong as like the Stranger Things ensemble cast. But these kids were really cool, right? Having that friendship, right? Stella being this kind of gothy girl and sort of just this hodgepodgey group of friends. It was cool. And then, of 
course, basically adopting Ramon the drifter by proxy hiding in his car. Um, but I thought that was a cool scene too. Also, how many times have you seen, right? Do do our listeners even know drive-in theaters? Have they ever seen one? Have they ever been to one? I've um, never seen one you've like never? set up. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Have you ever see. so you've never been to one? No. Oh. I, I read it forever ago there were only like six left in America. So That's I a don't shame. I don't know if there are any left now. I, I mean I was only ever to one back in like the last one I was in nineteen ninety six, I think, ninety seven, the last time I was ever to one. But up where I grew up in north central Pennsylvania, they still have the screens up. If you drive by and then one highway, you can see them. They're still up. I don't know if they still run movies or not, but they're there. Oh man. So the one part of this movie that really bugs me is this transition between them running away from Tommy and all of a sudden after Stella kind of has her emotional moment of, I guess, about her mom running away or whatever, leaving, she goes to the window, uh, the car window with Ramon, and she's like, do you want to see a haunted house? So the shift is so abrupt to me. And I don't know if you guys felt that that shift abruptness or if you thought that was in line with the movie. So we talked about this a little bit, and I definitely felt this abruptness, but it didn't bother me because it made me think of Scream when they say, you like scary movies? And so I liked it because it felt gimmicky to me. It was, you want to see a haunted house? I mean, plus she was like ready to move on. Like I've just been chased, like flaming, you know, bag of dog poo, fled for my life, came into the, you know, hopped in some random guy's convertible. Luckily, he stuck up for us and didn't kick us out. You know, didn't get pummeled by a baseball bat, had an emotional breakdown about my mom deserting me. Okay, let's move on. So yeah, it didn't bother me, but I, I did feel the abruptness. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think I picked up on it too much just because it seemed like they had some sort of instant connection on horror. I don't know why I felt that way. Well, he was watching Lady of the Living right, Dead and she said that. about it. I mean, that's pretty much yeah. it. I, I mean, I get what they were going for. I just felt like it was, they're like, how do we get them to this haunted house? Well, she just says, let's go see this haunted house. And that's just what they end up doing. I don't know. It just felt abrupt to me, but that's fine. So this is, they go to the haunted house and you learn about Sarah Bellows. Now I have a question because I didn't quite understand this. Sarah Bellows is supposed to be in the basement locked up and she's whispering stories through the wall to, to somebody or was that just all made up okay so what i uh, got from this was that that was the legend was that she whispered to the wall through the wall to the kids and then the kids disappeared but when you have the flashback later on in the movie she's like whispering stories to the servant girl i i, I don't know so i think it was an actual thing that she did but then so I, I totally agree. I think that when you see the her, the room where she was locked in and you see the wall with the chair, you're thinking, oh, she's supposed to be whispering into that wall and kids are on the other side. But that doesn't make any sense because you're in a basement, right. obviously. But I also felt like what they were trying to say was Stella told that story when they were upstairs, when she was saying, you come to the house and you ask Sarah to tell you a story and she whispers through the walls. So I felt like what she was actually trying to say was it wasn't necessarily you had to be on the other side of that wall in the basement to be very specific logistically, but that she would tell you really like through the wall or through the walls. But I agree. It was a little like, that was a poor representation. Could have been misinterpreted. Well, I think there were two aspects, right? There was the the house is haunted and you can ask her to tell you a story, but there was the original when she was alive she was supposed to be telling these kids stories and then they were supposed to be dying, right? Or was she already supposed to be dead at that point 
and they were dying. I, I anyway, I'm, I was confused by that because it, when it came back around, they didn't bring it all the way back around to that. They just they went with the whole the kids were actually poisoned. I don't understand why she was albino. Because <laughs> she was in because <laughs> she was in the dark the whole time. <laughs> like, what did that have to do? I, with I don't understand why her why her face was scratched out of all the pictures. Is it because she was albino and she ruined them? I don't know. In her family's I don't, I don't know. I don't know if albino is linked to mental illness in those days and age. I, I, you know, I was very confused by that. I mean, I think from the stories, from narrative's perspective, I think it was that way so that you thought maybe Stella was her at the end when she was kind of inhabiting her space in the past. Like, I think that's why that you were thinking, oh, they scratched all the photos out because you can't know it's really Stella. Oh. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't – other than that, I don't know why they did it, so. I mean, it was just adding to the mystique, right? It was this whole idea that she was a pariah, that she was thought to have something wrong with her, and that's why she was in the basement. So that's what I took from it with, you know, being albino or – and was she truly albino or – I didn't know if they were just doing that as an effect – for her she was a as ghost. a ghost. I, I thought they said she was albino. Did they? Okay, which is totally fine too. I I didn't pick up on that. But I yeah, making that up. They had some. So. I don't know. I, I don't know either. We only saw it one time in the theater, so it's it's difficult. So I like to watch the movies twice usually, so I can kind of mm-hmm. get more notes. But but it, but it was a great effect, and even if she was, they did imply that she had some kind of health disorder, like some kind of like something was biologically wrong with her. And then of course later, as we'll get into it, you find out that in fact that she had basically turned against her family who were, who was poisoning the town. So you're like, oh, well, actually they locked her down there to shut her up. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, honestly, I was like, I guess it was a little bit of both. Right. In her room, Stella discovers a new story named Harold is being written in Sarah's book, and the main character is Tommy. Tommy is stalked by a scarecrow called Harold and is stabbed by the creature before vomiting hay and transforming. Unsettled, Stella and Ramon investigate and find a scarecrow wearing Tommy's clothes. Though Stella is convinced that Tommy has been turned into a scarecrow, the others are skeptical. I'd be skeptical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what I really liked about this is when they start to show the story being written. Mm-hmm. Or I guess the story is written when she discovers it. But she realizes that the, I don't want to say ink, but like it's the blood. The blood. Is yep. smearable. So she's like, how is this, how is, this must be a new story. And yeah. he just, but she doesn't, you know, that's I guess what her clue is that Harold, the new Harold, Harold 2.0 is actually Tommy. I had written the same thing, the wet blood. It's funny because in my commentary, like when I was looking at my notes, I was like, what? Like that wasn't a really big, but I think when it happened in the movie, it was very impactful. You were like, oh my God, no, this is a freshly written story, which you didn't see as clearly with that iteration. When you get further into the movie, they show her writing on the page, which, you know, is sufficiently creepy in in and of itself. Um, but I love this scarecrow story. I loved the visual manifestations of the scarecrow, of Tommy going to get the eggs. I really thought the shadow on the barn was a fantastic element as well, as basic as that might seem, him going in to get the eggs and sort of this, you know, like a fungus spreading, you know, across the barn and coming to get him. And then that endless loop, right? Almost like in a dream state. Of I'm walking back, I'm doing this thing, but I can't get out of the corn maze. What's happening? So I thought that was kind of cool because he was entering this almost alternative reality. Yeah, I agree. I, I think one thing this movie did really well was draw out the suspenseful piece of whatever the story was they were telling. And I, I don't think that the Herald story did it the best of the stories they told within the movie, but it was it was good. And uh, obviously, you they start off with Tommy, and Tommy's, you know, he's the villain, the human villain in the movie. 
And so when Harold kills him, you you feel bad, but you don't feel that bad, right? Because he's kind of like a bad guy anyway. So I like how they started off with him to ease you into the, the stories kind of. And you don't really know at first whether the stories are going to go off and, you know, target other people that they don't necessarily care about or if they're going to target the, the, the rest of the crew, the main crew of the movie. Okay, but my favorite part was the hay vomit, hands down. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah me too. Oh, and he's so trying gross. to pull it out. That oh. was pretty cool. Ugh. And you're like, is that coming out from your lungs? Like, how far down does that go? Ugh. Yeah, it's a oh. weird suffocation thing there. Yeah. It's definitely icky. Yeah. So is that what scarecrows look like? Like that? No. Harold was terrifying. No, I've never seen a scarecrow that looks like that. Now, now if I made a scarecrow, it might look like that. Because you, you, probably, you have to have somebody like Halloween to put some weird Halloween mask thing up like on there. Latex face. That wasn't, or like a contorted gourd or something. I mean, it's not like, no. Yeah, yeah I was like, no wonder why he was terrified of Harold. Yeah. That thing is just freaky. Yeah, he hated that. Yeah, I beat it up. I'm like, what is that face made out of that's hanging out there that long? I also appreciate the fact, though, that he actually has a body that's articulate, like metal or something. And yeah. most scarecrows are just like stuffed and they're like pinned up on the, that's what I th- on okay. the thing. Like, yeah, the, like usually a scarecrow wouldn't have like a skeleton. Yeah, I don't care. I loved it. I won't. It was, oh, it no, was it was great. cool. No, it yeah. was cool. Don't get me wrong. He, but he was an abnormal scarecrow. Let's go yeah, with that. I just wanted to know. Like, please tell me those aren't out there because I will not be doing any corn mazes anytime soon. Oh, no, that one was super messed so, up. So I have a question for you. Since Harold is not a normal scarecrow, and he exists prior to them finding the book, right? The scarecrow exists before they find the book. Do you think that, like, Sarah the ghost is putting these ideas in people's heads to create, like, creepy scarecrows on the chance that she can then kill them? Or is she just taking advantage of somebody's really weird sense of what a scarecrow should be? I think she took advantage of his fear because he was afraid of it. But, like, who created it in the first place? What I'm saying is, like, who creates a weird scarecrow like that, right? Apparently Tommy's family. I guess so. And that's why yeah. he's a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why. Maybe that is why. Mentally tortured by the scarecrow growing <laughs> up. Self-fulfilling prophecy, which ultimately came back and murdered him in the end. Sorry, Tommy. It's a yeah, good I, way to go, though. Yeah. I, I didn't it's pretty feel, epic. <laughs> it's a good way to go. I felt bad for the suffocating, but not for Tommy specifically, I guess. Although, you know, it's funny because he joined the army right before, I guess, you find out he's actually an ass. I mean, he seemed, I feel, uh, I don't know, when he left for after enlisting or whatever, he definitely looked, uh, he just screamed like he was an actor. Well, the actor yeah. does. Yeah, sure. But I, I'm wondering if you were supposed to feel conflicted about that in the sense that he was not a draft dodger, unlike Ramon. He just looked like one of those people who didn't have the maturity to realize what he was getting himself into. I felt like what they were trying to imply as well with this specific scenario was that it was a little ambiguous whether he truly was killed and became the new scarecrow. I mean, I thought it was a little rough because obviously the hay vomit and which was like epic and awesome. So you were like, well, obviously he like converted to the scarecrow, but you know, since he had registered uh, for the army and since the scarecrow looked that crazy before and the face didn't look any different, once Tommy became the Scarecrow. I thought for sure they were going to change the face a little bit, have it mm-hmm. look a little bit more like him. And they really didn't. All they did was basically, right, quote unquote, like put his clothing on the Scarecrow. So you were a little bit like, huh, are they trying to give us mis- mixed signals? But they really, you know, obviously go for it in the following scenes. Two things that makes me think of. First, 
I swear the way they shot that, I expected them to pull the mask off for her to be like reach out mm-hmm. and like pull the mask up and, and see his face or something crazy like that. And second, you bring up a good point, which is the other characters don't die, right? They're taken somewhere because at the end you hear the setup for the sequel, mm-hmm. which is like, we're going to go find them. I mean, maybe Tommy's actually alive somewhere else. That night, Stella and Ramon witness a new story being written titled The Big Toe, with Augie as the main character. The pair attempt to warn him of the threat, a living corpse looking for its missing toe, which is inside a stew that Augie unwittingly eats. Augie is attacked by the corpse and dragged under his bed, disappearing. Terrified and realizing they are next, the group try and fail to destroy the book before deciding to research Cerebello's past to find a way to stop the hauntings. Ruth discovers a spider bite on her cheek as a new story with her as the main character is written. The red spot. She attempts to squeeze her bite, but the spot explodes, releasing hundreds of spiders upon her. The group finds her and gets rid of the spiders. Ruth is taken to the hospital, traumatized but alive. Just like you had mentioned before, right? This was so suspenseful on multiple levels, right? The fact that they are trying to figure this out and save Augie, their first friend who's being attacked by the story. And they catch him in time to a certain extent, right? He hasn't eaten the toe yet, so to speak. And I thought they just did a really cool job of this mashup of trying to warn him and then talking through uh, the CB radio or whatnot, the walkie-talkie, whatever it was. And then sort of, again, like a self-fulfilling prophecy that whenever Stella was saying it, that's when he was hearing the, you know, where's my toe or whatever it was. So, you know, trying to catch him, he did not ingest the toe. So I was very hopeful that he'd be able to take said toe and like peg it at the zombie (laughs) and just give it back. Here it is. Here it is. Go take it. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie was him hiding under the bed. And how just how terrifyingly suspenseful that is. Because, right? I mean, you're kind of like, you're an idiot. Like, why are you hiding under the bed in a room with a door that doesn't lock for whatever reason? But, right, you just like shut your eyes as tight as possible. And you're just like, oh, my God, I know it's totally irrational, but I'm going to hide under here. And then eventually he's like, oh, my God, I have to look. I can't remember. Like, they do open the door, right? The door's open, but he hasn't seen anybody come in. Nobody's walked in. Nobody's in. But then he's like, oh, my God, they must be in the room, right? And then he he looks out the door, and then he slowly turns around and looks behind him, and nobody's there. And then he looks in front of him, and nobody's there. And then he slides out from under the bed and nobody's there. And then he pulls himself up and looks above the bed and nobody's there. And it's just like, it's funny because even the way that I'm telling it, it's like you can almost hear the story go along with the movie. (laughs) And the other piece that I just really enjoyed in this movie were, were the moments of comic relief that went along with the scares throughout this. I mean, I don't know if you guys found that you were laughing throughout this movie as well. But I love the duality of the two. Well, the interaction between the kids, there was some funny stuff I thought between the between the kids. I agree that the suspense they drew out with him, like trying to look around and see if anything was there was great. I, I question, I guess maybe if you're 16 or 17 and you're a boy and you open up the refrigerator, and there's a random pot in there with stuff in it. <laughs> you're going to eat it. If you're on the phone with your mom and you're like, I'm eating the stew and she's like, what stew? I don't know. Do I question that? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't know if you felt the same way, Helen, but it was very much like, it, was he talking to his mom? Because if your mom says, who made this stew? Don't freaking eat that stew. In the right. 60s, especially, because she was the only one cooking in that house. That's true. <laughs> and and you're, you're like, just eat it from the fridge? 
Yeah, cold? Yeah. Okay. Who eats cold? First of all. I don't have all, a problem with that. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to stick no, up for Augie. I will no, totally eat cold chili any day. Look, chili's different. Stew is mostly meat, which means there's rendered fat in that thing, which means that fat, you got to probably a, a good qu- quarter a inch quarter inch of congealed fat on the top of that thing. It looked more like a chili. Plus toad. Jam. Maybe. I don't know. I can't, I can't say to the source of the <laughs> substance <laughs> in the pot, but... <laughs> I would have, um, and I guess being a teenager, maybe you don't heat things up. You're just like being lazy because you're just hungry. But I also would have gotten sure. a bowl. Like, well, <laughs> the boy wouldn't have. He's by himself. Nah. Now heating stuff up would have been hard. I mean, you have to actually put it on a stove, a stove in the yeah. '60s. You can't just mic it, right? But right. Yeah, no, it, it was pretty good. Yeah, he didn't eat the toe. What was interesting to me was the story indicated stuff that happened that he never did. Right, it was like they find the toe out like a potato and bring it in and all this stuff, and you're you're like he never does that. It's like Cerebellos conveniently like just pre-stages all that for him. And it's like, ha, you get the bad stuff, even though you didn't do what they said in the story. Well, Whoops. it was supposed to be his mom found the toe and made the stew out of it. But then the, she should have said, "I made a stew for you." Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that piece was like a little weak. I'm definitely going to agree with you on that one. But I had written down in my notes, funny, scary, ridiculous, and terrifying. So this whole story, you know, it really had those funny and ridiculous elements. You know, after it's all done, they're trying to get rid of the book. And they're like, burn it. It worked in Salem. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then I think the other line I wrote down was, if it's in the paper, it must be true. Yes. So yeah. just like, you know, today we say, if you read it on the internet, it must be true. Yeah, that's Chuck, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I enjoyed how they – it almost seemed like they used a lot of the slang that we use nowadays but incorporated into the 1968 type film. Mm-hmm. You had another good quote from the movie as well yeah, that you liked. I don't remember what it was. Throat punch. Oh, throat punch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I say that all the time. <laughs> yeah, and then so the spider bite just moving things right along was also interesting because that harkened back to when they were in the house. And, of course, she's like, spiders are all over and she's like it's not a set it's a spider bite although it's funny because later you kind of see her with some more acne so i was like oh maybe it actually is acne and then of course i remembered the original story about the spider bite and i was like oh my god i mean i just remember for whatever reason that story specifically terrifying me because i think it was the most realistic yes right you're like i'm not gonna find a toe and make a stew out of it that is not gonna happen look at look at rice like maybe no like, no, that's, that's some zombie is going to come back and reclaim their toe. But the idea of getting bitten by a spider, right, and infecting you with its larvae, and then spiders hatching out of your face. <laughs> I don't think spiders have larvae, though. Don't they? they just have eggs. eggs. <laughs> well, that's what I meant. But, I mean, the concept, it's still pretty ludicrous, but we have seen. There's have been seen. news stuff, that's like, right. around that time. I feel like every time, like, you, you heard the, the story, and then you would see the stuff on the news where somebody had it in their gums, or yeah. somebody had something embedded in their cheek, and you're yeah. just like, I remember, please, God, don't ever let that happen to me. I remember around this time, something um, came out of some people's ears at this time that they had, Ugh. right, yeah, laid some eggs or larvae or whatever in their ears, and it hatched out of that. So, yeah, so it's super creepy, but it's funny because... In this movie, that definitely is, uh, all things considered, I think the least scary, although creepy. I think it depends on what you're scared of. It's the grossest, kind of. I like to, okay, I think (laughs) the amount of spiders that came out of that was probably a little ridiculous. A little embellished, but 
to oh god to have that happen and like just seeing her in that mirror trying to poke what i guess she thought was a hair i would have i would have been freaking and then it goes the F out. Her, her, her. yeah like, oh, it's, it's a spider leg i thought that was so well done i i will say i think that it if it had been more graphic and if had there been pus and spiders actually like you could have seen them coming out of her skin involved that would have really set me over the edge but this was really like you see the tweaky leg and then fast forward to CGI spiders everywhere. I, I I didn't think they executed the pus explosion as good as they could I wonder have. if that would have moved the rating a little. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was going to explode. I didn't remember the story. I really oh. didn't. I I didn't remember the spiders. I thought it was going to like explode and half her face was going to be gone or something crazy. They did show, actually. I don't know if you saw it big, quickly. Yeah, yeah she had a huge well. Like she was missing half the skin. Oh, yeah. I know that, but I meant like she was going to die and it was going to be. Oh. Oh. But anyway, yeah. Different different type of movie, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought it was a little funny how they try to divert you from her having the red spot, even though knowing the story knew it was her because they tried to say it was Chuck. Oh my God, I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> yes! The, with the jelly stain. Yeah, he eats his donut and they're like, oh my God, yeah, the red spot. And then they're like, <gasps> and he looks down, oh my God! Yes, oh my God. That's what I mean. Like, it, this was legitimately funny. There were some really good moments. The group's investigation is taken to a psychiatric hospital where they discover Sarah's brother, Ephraim, was performing electroshock therapy on her to hide the fact that the family's mill had been poisoning the town's water with mercury, killing children. Chuck is attacked by the Pale Lady, a phantom from his reoccurring nightmares. Stella and Ramon find Chuck's pen as the only thing left of him before they are arrested by Police Chief Turner, who reveals that Ramon is a draft dodger. In their cells, Ramon reveals that he skipped the draft as his brother was sent home in pieces, making him scared of serving in the army. Turner's dog begins to act strangely, and Ramon realizes the next creature will be the jangly man. Okay, so they go into the psychiatric hospital, the Penhurst, and they start to try to look for the records um, room, the red room, which I think the they room. thought was going to be where Chuck has that vision of the older lady and the dog staring at him when he hides into the closet that first time that they break into the um, abandoned house. Yeah. yeah. But it ends up being just the records room. Which was and funny. It yeah. was funny. Um, so it also made me think of Fifty Shades of Grey, right? The Red Room. Oh, like, yeah. That's weird But nothing reference. kinky happened in there. Apparently Twin not. Peaks. Oh, yeah. Twin Peaks had a Red Room, Twin too. Peaks, the yeah. Red Room. And things kind of go a little crazy in that one, right? Where the yes, guy that's, talks. that's definitely scary, yeah. yeah. And it reminded me of The Shining as well. Yeah, actually, some of the cinematography in that hospital reminded me of The Shining. There's mm-hmm. hallways, the long hallways in, in the hotel. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree. can see that, especially with the kind of... He's running down the hallways where in The Shining with a tricycle. True. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And going how they do the turns there. Yeah. I mean, this was my favorite part of the movie, I think, uh, was oh, really? this pale lady part. Uh, I thought that thing was pretty scary. Like, it was, like, not really human. It was definitely right. a creature. And it had, like, this really wide mouth. I don't know. Really wide mouths scare me for some reason. It's like a thing. Really? Oh, I don't like the not in hu- no but it human. Wasn't like it wasn't like the plump lips. It was like no. It's I mean, it's real thin. It's like weird and like kind of not really real looking. Not not like a real thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's like four of them, and he's like trying to go from one hallway to the other, and getting they keep on getting closer and it's cl- so slow. And you're like, oh my god. And then finally, yeah, she absorbs him, which I wasn't too okay with the absorbing part. I didn't really understand, but yeah, and I didn't like how she was like translucent. I liked it all. I thought it was creepy. So, like, you, she looks like she's wearing some tattered mm-hmm. hospital gown, and that, but she's translucent, translucent, and then absorbs Chuck. 
but then you don't see him in her innards. Like, so I was expecting, I don't know, it really just bothered me. I have in my notes, Chuck absorbed by smiling naked fat man. <laughs> I guess I thought it was a woman. It was, well, it was a woman. it was. Okay, I didn't pick up on any of that. I'm, I'm so sorry, unfortunately, Ray, and I do not agree on this. This is my least favorite story. I, I didn't like any of it. I thought um, when Chuck was referencing his dream, I clearly thought he was talking about the old lady with the dog. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think it makes any sense. That old lady and the dog and then this random crazy looking blob lady. I agree with that. I'm not, I don't know that it actually makes any sense to the movie, but I just thought the way they shot it was once again extending that anticipation. I just thought it was lame because it's like this smiling blob. Like it almost reminded me of like the smiling Buddhist statues or something. I'm like (laughs) that like crazy fat naked man thing like looks downright friendly and it wasn't creepy to me. I guess that's just wanted a hug. Yeah, that's I was. I was like he's and basically, you know, hugged and absorbed him in. But I was like, that thing is moving so slowly. You could just run straight at it and pass it. And I was like, no, instead you keep trying to go the other way and then you keep getting like like honed in and even... I just felt like it was too much. I think that in a dream, like, this is sort of the point, right? If you're in a dream state, things don't make sense. You don't react the right way. You panic, especially if you're scared in that moment. Like, I just thought it was ludicrous. So it's just be like, oh, I go up, give him like a high five and like go to the elevators behind him or something. Also, he was at the elevators. He never tried the elevators, which was driving me nuts. But I like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a pass because I think it was supposed to be, right, this haunting from his dreams in a dream state where things don't make sense. So that's all right. I also thought it was almost like the second time we've seen it because it felt very Harold-like to me with the chasing in the cornfield. So I kind of would have liked maybe if Harold was done a little differently and then this was the one where they kind of submerge onto him. That would have played – that would have been more of a like, oh, this is a completely different story to me. Yeah, less of another chase loop, Mm -hmm. if you will. Well, three three of them are chases. I mean, Jangly Man's a chase as well. He just never gets to accomplish what he's trying to do. But But he's – that's also like a singular chase, not converging onto one spot. It's not a dream state loop. Yeah. It's an infinite loop. Where you're running down one aisle and then see him and run down another aisle and see them. I mean, I get what you're saying, though, yeah. which is like, it, there's, a it spatial, there's a spatial dimension to it. Yeah, right. that the jangly yeah. man doesn't have. I get it. Yep. Speaking of the jangly man, they get arrested. Stella and Ramon get arrested. And so they're locked up and jangly man comes down the chimney for some reason, I guess. I, I thought the dog was going to turn into something. I was mm-hmm. like freaked out. I was like, this dog is going to bite the chief. Or I don't know what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I was freaking out. I thought the dog was going to be possessed or, or you know, mutate or something. So it was weird to see that the dog wound up doing nothing, just got scared and ran away. Wasn't the dog like growling in the cadence of the words? It's like me, Ty, oh, Doe, T, Walker, oh right? It was God. like, rawr, 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 right? It was weird. I, I'm pretty Ew, sure I heard that. that I didn't would, pick up on I that. I didn't yeah. either. That would be a great effect, though. Yeah. I just assumed it was like you looked at the dog, you knew something was going amiss, and it was in the direction of the chimney in so the that chimney, you would yeah. focus there. Yeah, this whole the me, Ty, Doe, Walker, I didn't understand what they were saying. So I just kind of went, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it right now on the wiki. I still don't understand what it is. I don't know why it would be called that. Maybe you'll have to look up that separately. But I do remember thinking that the dog growling was very extended. And there was something weird going on there. So you might be right, Ray. We might have to go back to the film and see. Yeah, okay. So then they're locked up. They're panicking. You know, like the body parts fall down the chimney, which... I didn't love, I thought that was a little like, I don't want to say gimmicky because I've already established like I don't, you know, hate all the gimmicks. I just thought it was a little lame. 
I guess. You're kind of like, oh, the body parts fall down and reassemble. Again, I was feeling a little scarecrow-esque here where I was like, uh, I don't know. You just want them all to be sort of really distinct and unique. But I thought that the monster was terrifying. Yes, I agree. The way he contortioned and... Yeah, he was a little CGI-y in the way that the other ones didn't seem as much CGI. I mean, apart from the spiders, I guess. But but he was pretty scary. His face was scary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The weird double smile or whatever was happening there. Yeah, his cracked face or whatever it was. Reminded me of Joker from Batman. Like a very Jared Leto-like. Actually, he looks a lot like the Joker from the Arkham, Batman Arkham uh, movies. Yeah. Come to think of it. Creepy. Yeah, very creepy. In a good way. But like he just came from from Ramon's past, right? He was scared of him. Yeah, but, like, yeah. but look, it was a monster from the campfire campfire story, remember? And then Chuck's monster was also something that this is saying recurring nightmares. And I'm like, yeah, ah, but but it's weird how they introduced that. Like it, it, Augie didn't have a fear of eating just toes. toes. <laughs> yeah, hey, or I mean, zombies. Oh, yeah, not even like a toe fetish. But and then yeah, Tommy didn't. I guess he said he hated Harold. Yeah. Right. So I mean, did Augie like not like his mom's cooking, and that's what the whole thing was? I'm <laughs> no, not really I'm, sure what. I mean, that's where I was like, it doesn't need to come from their dreams. That felt a little bit like trying to force the issue to me. I agree. And I was like, you don't need to tie these stories to their past at all. Yep. Like, that's fine that, you know, the one guy that I didn't mind it for was with Ramon because I felt like that was the final story. It actually bothered me more that Ramon's story was from his childhood because I assumed that Chuck's was just since they got the book, he was having this dream over the two nights, I think. Okay, well, that's what he was saying. So right? I think the wiki's just wrong. What he was saying was he was having this dream, exactly to your point, and it was about the old man, the old lady and the dog in the room, and he thought that he was going to go back there, in the red room there. So that's what I didn't like in the movie, that it had this disconnect between fat, smiling man <laughs> and the, the lady and the dog. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that was confusing. So anyway, jangly man... Creepy as all hell. Yep. Gets gets into the the cells. They get out. Chases them down. Chases them down. The one part I did like in this was when Police Chief Turner, what did he say when he saw the head come down and he like points the gun and he's like, oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. Or something. Yeah. He says something like that. And I was like, yep, that's exactly what I would do. And he unloads all. Whopping six bullets. Yeah. Whopping six bullets. (laughs) All six bullets into the head. Uh, and then he, then of course, I don't know why I would run at that point. Like when it doesn't kill it. I, I don't, I think I'm going to run before that thing came down the chimney. As soon as I saw that dog acting out, I'd be like, peace out guys. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Here's the keys. Right. <laughs> the woman be done. The jangly man able to build itself from body parts kills Turner before attempting to kill Ramon. The pair escapes their cells and Ramon tries to lure the creature away while Stella goes to the bellows house to try to reason with Sarah. Stella is taken back in time and witnesses Ephraim terrorizing Sarah before encountering her ghost. In the present, Ramon is hunted by the jangly man in the bellows house. Stella begins tearfully reciting the real story of Sarah Bellows. She was victimized by her family for trying to reveal the truth, which turned her into a rage-filled monster. Sarah used the power of the book to kill her family, but was unable to move on and kept killing anyone who removed her book. Stella promises to tell Sarah's real story if she stops killing. Sarah forces Stella to write her story in the book in blood before she and the jangly man vanish. Ramon finally enlists in the army while Stella, with the book in her possession, sets out with her father and a recovered Ruth to try to find a way to bring Augie and Chuck back. So yeah, the jangly man gets in. Tries to get them. They get away. They're in the cop car, right, driving, and Jangly Man's on top. 
Uh, he takes it. Ramon yeah, takes it. Yeah, Ramon it. takes it, and she, she goes, goes back to, to the house. Book. Yeah, and he pins the old jangly which, man. Which is like relatively that. smart. Uh, actually, this is like, again, when we talk about like stupid things that happen in horror movies, you know, that they have enough awareness of the moment to say, okay, you go get the book. I'm going to go. He's obviously chasing me. Like, let me do this reality. The fact that he actually pins the bad guy right to another truck, body parts. I like the idea that they were like, oh, this guy can just disassemble and then reassemble. Although I was like, his torso was still pinned. So, eh, but okay, we'll go with it. <laughs> right. They want, they want, I know I'm, I'm so practical. They wind up back at the house. Uh, so I like the whole flashback. I like that he was trapped in the modern day with the jangly man trying to track him down and kill him. Meanwhile, um, Stella, of course, is like, transported into this other dimension back in time and she's in the house with him um but you know they can't see each other they can't interact with one another so i i thought that was cool i dug that i thought that was mysterious how did you feel about like the echoes of from each other yeah i liked it i thought being that was able cool. to be like tethered into the almost yeah you can kind of see them kind of hear them and sense them but yeah and of course they're thinking you know why can't i see the other person why where is ramon you know where is that like the whole thing is kind of weird and at the same time you're being terrorized by relatives on one hand and you know hunted down by a demon on the other hand so there's a lot going on i don't know how i feel about it maybe i didn't like it i'm okay with it i guess but it felt like another thing all of a sudden we're got time travel of some sort uh at least enough that she seems to have actually interacted with the family in the past i guess or else it's just a construct that Sarah's showing her. I can't, I, I don't know. Uh, and I don't know that you really do know. Although supposedly, I guess Ramon finds her glasses that were broken in the past. So clearly she really did time travel, right? And then there's two books at the end. I'm confused about that as well. Because in the past she pulls down the book and writes it in her blood. Yet Ramon has the other book that they took in the present. So I'm like, are there two books? Or when she comes up out of there, is she not no longer in the past? Like, obviously, she's no longer in the past. But was she in, no longer in the past, like, at some point before that? I don't know. C- confusing to me. I thought she was transported to modern day and he no longer had the book. I thought he had the book. Well, second yeah. viewing. Yeah, second viewing. I mean, yeah. That's the problem. With not another, being able to see another bug it. we but, need to work out. But I remember specifically thinking that because she pulls the book out when she's in the basement. And it's newer looking. Right? It's not, like, completely old right. looking. And that's when she scribbles the, the story down at the end. So. I don't know. I did think of Sarah's super yell at the end where she releases all her anger. which was pretty scary, I guess. To me, it gave me like a very Titanic vibe with the whole like back in time and like, I'll tell your story and like that whole thing. <laughs> Titanic. And, yeah. Titanic. Just, <laughs> I'm the king of the world. Not like, not like that. Yeah. Just that, you know, it's like throwback and, you know, it's it's this whole idea that she's being dragged to this, you know, another time you know, telling Sarah Bellows that she was misrepresented that she'll tell her story. So let go, you know, you've become this rage filled monster, you know, you're not the girl that they told you, but I like the whole idea that, and we didn't talk about, it's not in this wiki, the whole voodoo lady visit. I thought that was really cool. Oh, yeah. I like the voodoo element there. It added more to that mystique. So the idea that she sort of had these supernatural powers and she could pull people forward, backwards, tell the stories, manipulate time, whatever, you know. Um, I Generally, I like that because it's adding this, you know, transportation, historical, like, I don't know, it's hard to say. I guess just like this mysterious 
kind of view and vibe to something that's already spooky, right? And again, like, it doesn't matter. Everything's supernatural at this point. It doesn't need to be based in reality. Sure, yeah. I mean, I thought uh, Haunting of Hill House from Netflix reminded me of at the end when they go in and all of a sudden you're you're in this the, the house that's not decayed. It's it's in its heyday, you know, back in the past. Um, and, and Sarah Bello specifically reminded me of Samara from The Ring. This whole idea that she's rage-filled, that she's doing this. Instead of a videotape, you have, like, a storybook, right, that's killing people. You don't have seven days, unfortunately, but, you know, it's one of the, it's very similar to the ring. And I was waiting. I was like, okay, is, is she going to let go or are they going to be screwed and she's going to keep on writing this book? Yeah, there's definitely that moment when you're like, oh, shit, this is not going to go the way that you thought it was going to go. And then I was shocked, actually, that she was like, nah, it's all, you know, good vibes. No problem. I'll release you guys. I mean, we assume so. <laughs> We assume so, but there's going to be a sequel. And right. the, the whole idea that she's like, they're somewhere. Augie and Chuck are somewhere. I'm like, where would you get that sense particularly? Right. If you believe that it was Sarah Bellow's power that was doing it, like there's obviously, I think, a wider world of scary somethings out there, if that's what you believe. Like then, then would you believe that the crazy lady in the hospital was – not just a construct of Sarah, but some sort of entity that exists independent in some other dimension. I don't know. I'm just, I don't know how the sequel works. Yeah. And I don't know where are they driving to? Like, why do you need to drive someplace? <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. I don't know. Yeah. That, that's how they show forward movement into the <laughs> sequel. It's a drive. Yeah. Relocation. Uh, too many people missing. Uh, we look suspicious. Let's just go. Can I tell you what I think the scariest part of this movie is, or the scariest thing in this movie is, is Ramon going to Vietnam? Yeah, like I was like, that going dude's it. gonna die. He's not coming home. He was too sweet, and it's mm. it doesn't. I mean, I I don't even whether he's sweet or not. The poor guy just it was Vietnam, man. Sucks. Way to bring it down level. I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you know what? We can bring it up a level. Why don't we? Anybody have anything else no. for the review? If not. Helen, why don't you take this kill, chill, and thrill oh, God, while I we're really going? I don't want to do this, but <laughs> all right. So in kill, chill, and thrill, you get to kill a person that you despise. You get to chill with someone you want to hang out with. And you get to thrill with someone you would like to make sweet, sweet love with. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and for this, let's assume that these characters were. Of age. Of age. So fast forward them a couple of years. Yeah, I mean a year or something like that. Yeah, I don't. They could be seventeen. I was assuming no, they're seventeen, but no, you're, what? <laughs> I'm not. If you're going to fast forward them, like... fast forward them a couple of years. No, I just, I right? just meant... like I'll just take one. Uh, <laughs> you're, oh, you're probably gonna be so disturbed by who I had to pick because I'm like I can't do. I All can't right, that's, think... that's fine. That's fine. All, All right, right, go. Who do you want to go first, Helen? Go ahead, Ray. All right, I will go first. Who am I going to kill? Let's see. Hmm. Who am I going to kill? You know, I'm going to take the easy route here. I'm going to kill Ephraim. Because Ephraim's the worst. Yeah. He is the worst. Uh, who am I going to chill with? I feel like I might chill with the chief of police. I think, you know, he's like, he's an okay guy. I felt like he was only partially uh, racist in the movie. Um, which for the 68 is, okay. which for 68 is probably pretty good, right? I mean, you know, I feel like he had some empathy for the kid as much as he was kind of giving him a hard time. And, uh, for thrill, let me think about this. 
Augie's mom. No, you know, yeah, actually, she you makes know a mean stew. <laughs> no, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I always won't stay for dinner. <laughs> just be, uh, get in and get out. And, like, I gotta go. No, uh, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna go way outside the box here. I'm gonna pick the crazy hospital lady spirit that scared me so much. The enveloper. Yeah, the enveloper. What the f? I mean, she's a lady, right? No. I would pick the, the receptionist or the nurse at the receptionist desk over that. <laughs> I raised faces like, I don't know, maybe. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I mean, it would, I be, it was a it would dude. be weird. It's you not. You kept it's calling him a man the entire podcast. <laughs> it, it, it was not a man. Because that was truly my interpretation. All right. You want me to jump in there? Oh, yeah. All right. So for Kill, I mean, obviously, there's a standard list of characters between Ephraim and Tommy. But you know what? I decided to kill Guillermo. Because screw you, Guillermo, for putting your name all over this movie and then not having anything to do with it. Okay, yeah, we really love you anyways. But still, whatever. You're making my kill on this one. Um, Chill. I hang out with Stella. She's like a cool goth chick, whatever. We'd have a good time. She and, you know, the bro pack. And then Thrill. I mean, there's like nobody of an age except for like the old cop, which I was just like, eh. <laughs> Stella's dad. So, mm, uh. I mean, if we just assume that all the kids were of age, I guess I would, you know, have a fun time with Chuck because I was truly amused by him. I thought he had some of the best lines throughout the movie and he would just be funny. <laughs> I think Ramon actually, you know, in the movie was more of a stud. That's fair. Yeah, okay. Is that what you were going to try to say? I, I was just Plus saying he's, he, he's out of high school. He's going to yeah. be oh, No, I mean, I'm just assuming you could have helped, all... helped Ramon out before he went no, over. Oh, no, I mean, I look at them all like kids. I mean, to me, yeah, it's like they're it all really underage, age, to... so it doesn't yeah. matter. So he, he clearly Let's just assume was not, they're but... all plus five, ten years. He clearly was not underage in the movie, but. Ramon? Yeah. Oh, well, okay. I mean, he well, was because the... he was drafted. Because he was drafted, yes. He was out of high school, yeah. Anyway, Helen? Okay. Um, so I was going to kill Tommy just because I, I hated him. Yeah. It's true, yeah. I was going to also chill with Stella. Oh, cool. And we can then, all hang out. Yeah. I was going to thrill with Jangly Man because I figured Ew. the physicians would get... <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> That's gross. That's, so up. <laughs> That's really gross. That wasn't any more gross than... I don't know, enveloper lady. Well, yeah. I mean, at yeah, least, at least that's in- right. Thank you. Oh my god, two of you guys did ghosts. I will say, at least enveloper lady kind of was maybe alive. Jangly man Whoa. was certainly a corpse. Well, yes, <laughs> but thank God this is all fictional. Yeah, they're they're all reanimated. All right. Well, now that we've reviewed the movie, it's time to rate it. Only the best movies make it to the top of the hill, and to be the best, they have to perform in three categories. First is technical composition, which represents how well the movie's made, including the script, directing, cinematography, acting, and effects. Second is impact, which represents how well the movie accomplished its emotional intent. Was it scary? Was it funny? Did it make you question mankind or the nature of your reality? And third is enjoyment, which is pretty simple. How much did you enjoy the movie? Would you watch it again? Do you never want to watch it again? So our scale goes from a 1 to a 10, with 1 being the worst, and 10 being the best and why don't you take us through your three scores okay so the good thing is that i scored this ahead of time so i I had a little bit of time to think about this and what i will say is i'm no i'm going to be at the high end of the scale but it's okay because at the end of the day i really did enjoy this movie so for technical i rated it an eight 
you guys know I typically focus on CGI and special effects and things such of that sort, um, costuming and scenery. I thought the cinematography was really well done. I thought that the location shooting was great. I thought that the costuming was fine. I thought that the effects, all things considered, were really good. I did take a couple of points off for the spiders, which I thought looked a little fake. Um, but mostly they looked fake because they were supposed to be based in reality. All the creepy monsters I thought were incredibly well done, and they were fantastical, so, you know, bonus points. For impact, I gave it a 7. So, of course, I couldn't read it too high at the end of the day, but I did think it was funny, and I thought it was scary. So, I enjoyed that. And then enjoyment, as you can tell, um, I really did enjoy this. So I actually gave it a nine for enjoyment because I would watch this again. I rec- I've already recommended this to multiple people. And in fact, I would say, you know, go grab a friend and go to the movie theater and go watch this because it was really cool to see this on the big screen. Okay, Helen. For technical, I gave it an eight. I copy everything that Anne said, but I also want to point out that given that this story is actually a bunch of like a collection of stories, like the actual books. I really enjoyed that they made it one cohesive story with the collection embedded in between for each character. I felt like it gave a better sense of us getting to know the characters and and having more of a connection with them so that you actually felt bad if they were going to wherever it is that they went. For Impact, I gave it a seven. I thought that they did a really good job with the the ghost-like scenes and, and how they portrayed that and how the, the fear of them coming kind of, kind of closer and the amount of spiders coming out of that poor girl's face. I thought they did a really good job with the fear factor. And enjoyment, I gave it an eight. I would definitely watch this again. So for technical, I gave this a six. I thought it was a well-made movie. I do think it had some, I don't want to say plot holes, but it was trying to do a lot in some places that I didn't necessarily think worked very well. But overall, um, I liked it, gave it a six. Impact. They really drew out the suspense and the sort of dread of these creatures coming to get these kids. And I think they did this better than, I don't want to say any movie I've seen, but certainly I think any of the movies we've rated and reviewed here on the podcast. So I gave it a seven for impact. And for enjoyment, I gave it a six. I liked the movie. I liked it more than the average horror movie. There are other movies I like more, but I I will second what Anne said, which is, This is a good movie to put on when you have a group of friends over and you just want to watch something that's kind of scary, that's kind of easy to watch, and that's enjoyable. All right, Anne, why don't you uh, crank the old abacus and we'll we'll see where we're at. So I came in at the top of the hill with this with a solid eight, and Helen was right behind me as a fast follower with a 7.67. The only score that we differentiated on was enjoyment, which I gave a nine, she gave an eight. And then, Ray, you were very lukewarm on this, rating this at a 6.33. So that brought the full average overall score for this movie to a 7.33, which is pretty darn good. Yep, so it sits on five of our overall rankings. Ghostbusters and The Ritual and From Dust Till Dawn are ahead of it, and it's uh, right above Annabelle and Halloween 18. It's funny, Halloween 18 and it fall. I I wonder if new movies in the theater, the experience of going and watching, I wonder if that has a natural boost to the scores. But I'll also say that a theatrical release of a horror movie generally means that it's it's a better horror movie. You're not going to get as many of the the B campy ones although i think sharknado i'm thinking that maybe that's not true on all movies but (laughs) but uh yeah i mean how do you guys feel about the score i feel good about it 
Yeah, I feel pretty good. I mean, I do think it's getting some of that, exactly what you're saying, right? Probably a little bit of a halo effect from going to the theater and seeing it. Also, I think just being an 80s nostalgia piece again, you know, certainly for myself, it's probably giving it a little extra added boost. But you know what? So what? That's what the whole point of this podcast is about. True. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, help us grow our audience. Rate and review us on Appa Podcasts, and please share with your friends and family on Facebook and Twitter and other social media platforms. You can give us a shout out to tell us how we're doing or suggest movies to review. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at host.hth at gmail.com. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards, and on behalf of my co-host, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.